Hello, RP people, and welcome back to Roleplaying as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to RPG systems, mechanics, news, and dumb rants on topics we have way overthought. My name is Santa, I'm glad you've decided to tune in again. As always, joining me today are Mr. Finder and Scott W. Say hello, guys. Hey! On this episode, we will be discussing rules lawyers and homebrews. One which is someone following the rules to the letter, and the other one is creating new ones entirely. For our audience, uh, who may not know what exactly those terms are, uh, let's get a little brief explanation. So let's start with rule lawyers. Mr. Finder, how would you describe what a rule lawyer is to someone who may not know exactly what it is? Um, For me, rules lawyers are people that have, uh, they follow the rule book and they kind of use it as a weapon against the GM. So like the GM is trying to use is to, trying to tell a story. They adjudicate things and uh, they can quote rules verbatim. And it's like, Oh, this is how it's supposed to work. And it typically just slows down games. Yeah. Would you agree, agree with that one, Scott? Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. So it's like the third, there's really a pyramid of this, right? So it's the rules lawyers, which is exactly what he said is they really do like to browbeat people. And they'll use the rule book and they'll use the rules verbatim when it's convenient. Uh, if it's not convenient for them, they're little fudgers and all that shit. Just, so it's, just, it's madness. And then there's the other side of it, right, which is the homebrewers. And then really there's that other pinnacle of the triangle. I don't know if we have an obtuse or an acute triangle here, but it's uh, the rules as written, folks, which are just completely different than a rules lawyer. Um, they're more of a purist, truth seeker kind of thing. Oh, so you'd actually put... Uh kind of a difference between like people who follow the rules directly and people who actually just try and lower them yeah absolutely yeah yeah i'd agree wow actually uh that's something i i for me i always thought rule lawyers were just people who follow things to the t but i i guess i'm definitely wrong on that one only when Um, convenient oh yeah um (laughs) uh and now uh scott how would you describe uh homebrewing for those who may not know what it is uh, let me tell you about my campaign world. I have seven pages of rules that completely change the game we're playing. That's that's a homebrewer, right? I get it. People want to just say, like, there's rules we can ignore. But a homebrewer will take and twist the rules, but to some absurd degrees. Um, and I know we'll, we'll get into it further. But, yeah, it's essentially it is. You look at the rules and you think, this doesn't make sense to me because for a variety of reasons. And so we're going to do things different in my group. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, uh, <laughs> no, that's um, that's a good way to put it. So let's start with uh, what is, I guess we'll call objectively bad, but uh, with the rule lawyers. Is there ever an actual a place, do you think, where a rule lawyer can fit in? Or do you think it's really just kind of a scale where if it goes too far, it just becomes essentially kind of just a pain in the ass? Um, I don't know that it's always bad. It, I think it depends on the intent, right? There are times when someone's genuinely trying to be helpful. It's like, oh, hey, by the way, this is the rule. Yeah. But if they're willing to go with the GM's adjudication, if the GM decides that they need to change that for that particular instance, yeah. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, somebody who's familiar with the rules and can help the GM out, um, I appreciate it when I'm GMing. If somebody can remember a rule that I can't, it saves me the time of having to look something up. Christian here. Uh, Finder's mic screwed up during recording, so this is just me saying that he started talking about when they were bad, and starting right now, that's when it's going to continue. When they just want to argue with you. It's, you're, uh, you're, killing the, you're killing the joy of the game now. So it's yeah, like, let's like, just move on. 
like living up to the actual term of lawyer instead of just yeah. like an RPG. Yes. How would you guys like, let's say you guys are running a game. How would you actually deal with one of these guys who are running amok besides like, you know, with the last step being, you know, you're just booted out of the game. Is there any way to maybe try and reel them in? I mean, yeah, you know, so it's like Finder says, is, is, uh, uh, someone who knows the rules can be super invaluable, right? Um, especially if you're running a game you're not familiar with. Like if I run 5th edition, I just don't really care too much about it. And so I need that player who can be like, okay, well, here's how the spell works. Or, you know, I can ask those questions. Uh, and they'll, they'll correct it. So, yeah, but if someone gets out of control with it and starts quoting, like I think in his, in your first example was, uh, you know, it really starts being... Uh, demonstratively just harmful to i hate the story but the, the the flow right i don't use story it's the flow at the game table and it's just like sometimes the rule of cool can be more important uh than the spell lasting x number of rounds if you cut it short around or an extended around or um you know if you're not cheating and you're not trying to get over on one or you're not trying to cheat into a, the, the the inverse of that where you're making it easier for the characters to to do their business but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they do have their place, and they can be they can be harnessed in. You want to know, like, how do you har- you got to? I think you empower them in a positive way, and you have to be curt, which is you know not something a lot of I think gamers are really used to. A lot of gamers like to nerd argue, you know, mm-hmm. over over like the speed of the Millennium Falcon versus a <laughs> fucking Star Trek Enterprise, the Starship Enterprise, right? Nonsensical, and so in in, in nerddom, you have to be smarter than everyone around you because it's how we are. Um, and I said that that causes problems, but if you're, there's confrontational to different degrees. And I think if you can be curt and tell them, hey, cool, I know what the book says, but right now that's not where we're going with it. Well, I'm going to make a note of it, and then we'll have a conversation after the game and see if everyone's comfortable with maybe sh- having a shift in in that rule specifically. Or if not, we'll just say it was the fate interceding, and we'll go back to normal play after that. Honestly, I can't say I've really ever had any experience with like a rules lawyer like personally and i think that's most of the time like i've played a bit in person with people but i've played a lot more with like let's say people online and i've gotten very lucky with my groups of people like you guys included uh my group that i was playing superheroes with a few other ones where it's just like i had a good time sometimes the groups just fell so like for me I don't have much experience with rule lawyers in general. Like the only one thing I could think of was that one player in our one group who was pissed off because he wasn't getting bennies and he felt like you're going against the rules. But I don't even know if that was really rule lawyering. No, nah, just be shitty GMing if, if, in his opinion. <laughs> yeah, we had a, we had a shitty GM for that one though, right? That's true but yeah, um, do you guys think like certain systems or rules or anything like that kind of almost create more lawyers than anything else? Like it's almost like ingrained into the game itself where it's just you're you're bound to run into one or two if you play long enough. You know, I don't know that it's system. I, I don't know that the system generates that type of mentality. I, I think uh, you're more likely to see it in things like D&D simply because D&D is such a huge game there's such a large population you're going to have more rules lawyers there just because of sheer numbers yeah but i don't know that it's the D rule set that generates that or that creates the rules lawyer i think it's people who just like scott was saying they, they need to be smarter than everybody else and 
this is a way that it can benefit my character mm-hmm. um, by rules lawyering. And so, because I, I completely agree, there are times when rules lawyers will ignore the rules if the GM has made a favorable ruling in their character's favor. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was kind of like thinking about this, and I wonder if it actually has to do with like how many almost like add-ons they have to the game. So you have the core rules, and then they <laughs> release this other one, and then this other one, and then they release this other one that had that's all about monsters, and then they added in 80,000 extra races, and then they added more spells. So I'm not going to bring up any names here, but I think we can all kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about here, where they have like 10,000 different books that pop out, and all, they all cover like these small topics, but then they also tweak the rules a little bit. But when I like when I think what could cause... a like create a rule lawyer i think a war gaming yeah sure because like like 40k you know how many erratas there is you know how many times they change the rules you know how like every time they come out with a book for one it's usually half broken and the rules don't work or a new model comes out that completely overpowers and then they errata something later on and then they errata again where they just keep on changing these things so it's like well i'm playing like this this level of my character and then they're like no it's not that was only that was valid two days ago don't you see this new <laughs> one that came out based off this character it's like no i didn't well that's because it came out in this book over here that also talks about this and then they changed it on this little detail down here i'm just like all right, I don't feel like spending five hundred dollars on books just to know exactly what the rules of my care of my guys are. So I think I'm out. <laughs> and I've never played war games, so I, I have no experience with any of that. <laughs> it, it's it's fun, but a pain in the ass. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. So the thing with the rules lawyering, right? And this is sort of a conversation that I get into a lot with people, especially when they want to tweak rules, and it's hard to make people understand, especially GMs. Uh, it's, it's so if everyone buys the player's handbook right for fifth edition and you're making characters, you're making characters and you're playing a game based on a set of presumptive rules that are codified, right? Yeah, so everyone has that base understanding. When you start messing with things, and I think that's where the rules lawyer really comes out the most, is being and, and to be fair, it, it may not be completely fair to the players around the table if you suddenly like, oh. Well, clerics can only use uh, daggers in this world, right? Because now you completely shifted how that that you completely shifted away from that expectation of what that person had at the table, and you 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 can't actually you know really just sour someone's desire to play a certain character uh, mm-hmm. because you know in your head you think something sounds amazing, but yeah, really you are snapping the that that um, shit. Uh, I don't know. Like the the agreement at the table, right? That social contract about, hey, we're playing this specific game, so yeah. let's play this game. Well, f- like for instance, like just bringing out five E right there, it's like the hunter in the original book. Like, I'm sorry, but like if you wanted to play anything that where you're going to do something well, like you don't play a hunter. They just sucked at the beginning. <laughs> or a ranger, ranger, hunter. Yeah, it's what they had like 85 versions of Unearthed Arcana Ranger, and they just couldn't figure out what they did wrong. No, and it it just came down to structure and like we'll talk about this when we get to like homebrewing, but like that's yeah. some some of the times where it's like it's almost necessary to keep the gun game running and to keep you know players happy at some point. Yep. Um. So one thing, and I know I saw this card, but Finder, you want to talk about what you do when someone's like starts quoting the rules in your game? Because I. <laughs> If we have an Instagram by the time this one comes up, 
I'm definitely going to be popping this down on that day because it is freaking hilarious. <laughs> it's just a uh, an adventure deck card that we created for Savage Worlds that basically says if anybody tries to rules lawyer you, you get to kind of give them the middle finger and do it anyway, and you get a bonus on your you get a bonus modifier to uh, to your action. So. <laughs> Me and all my friends uh, that are running games in my normal Friday night group, it's funny because that card is added to every single adventure deck. And nice. whenever somebody gets it, we're like, yes, I got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at that point, we're just looking for opportunities that we can use that card. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I love that. I just, it sounds so hilarious what you did. Like, did you actually come up with the art and all that for it? Or did you just kind of... Uh... Piece it together. Oh, I just do a Google search. Yeah, and I, I, I have no no skills, but uh, the text is something that I did come up with. Nice. Yeah. So, Scott, um, yeah. you got it as the D or GM. Sorry, I apologize, audience, for offending you there. Uh, you're gonna um, get sued. Oh God, I know. That's why. That's why I have that. That's why I have that fancy little beat button. I don't know if you guys have already listened to the last episode, but I, I now have this little tone that I'll just play. So don't worry. <laughs> No offense will be done to anyone. It'll be I say, I say bad words. <laughs> oh my god! Last episode, man, you were just sorry. on a tangent. Yeah, I get. It. I feel some kind of way about people wasting time. Oh man, it, it's funny. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, Scott, you got any uh, good stories on uh, on a rule lawyer? Uh, man, I don't really tolerate him. Like I said, I can encourage him. To be like, hey, because if I know someone's a rule lawyer, I'll ask them to help to look up rules or to tell me what the rule is. But like, hey, uh, okay, these guys are setting up an ambush. Is that a plus this or plus that? And they'd be like, oh no, it's really this. So I empower them. I don't really have anything, man, negative. I don't. No, man, I really don't. I don't really run into a lot of rules lawyers <clears throat> at all that I can think of. And if I ever have, it was I'm I'm fairly short with people, and I'll just tell you to get you know get the fuck away from my table. Yeah. I just don't have time. If I don't want to argue about fucking make believe elves and shit, that doesn't. I don't. I could not care less. Yeah, no, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so let's go to the other side of the table. Out of curiosity, uh, what would actually? What are some of the reasons why you may actually need to homebrew brew rules? I'm not talking about like creating a whole new system here, uh, but like you know, just some issues. Like, is there any kind of time where it's almost necessary to create homebrew almost on the fly uh, I, I would well on the fly I, I think that's for like times when there's no explicit rule in the game right yeah. Uh, yeah. if there's nothing that talks about how do you grapple somebody then that's going to be something that comes up Yeah, and you're going to have to come up with something on the fly that says okay well Logically speaking, it's this kind of an attack, so we'll we'll handle it like this. Yeah, and so you're going to have to do that at some point because there, in my opinion, is no such thing as a rules like a comprehensive rule set that encompasses everything that a character or that a player is going to want their character to do. We yeah. just can't. I mean, there's there's too yeah. many things. Yep. So you're going to have to at some point. Yeah, and. If that were to occur, would you actually, would you just think of something quick on the fly and then just afterwards, once the game is done, try and almost te like 
this one may be a little bit for more you for you, Scott, since you're, you know, a forever uh, GM of Finder GM is a fucking whole bunch of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, would you? And, and so, just to jump in for a second, uh, I'll let Scott answer. And I, I know Scott has come up with some homebrew stuff because there's ah. stuff on Drive Through RPG. But uh, for me, with a group, so with my Friday night group, we typically rotate the GM responsibility. So, like, I'll, I'll GM for six months, somebody else will GM for six months, somebody else will GM for six months. Yeah. And so, then when a situation like that comes up, we've got three GMs at the table, and we just say, This is what I'm thinking. What do you guys, you, you guys feel that's fair? And they feel it's fair, then we go with it. And if they don't, then they may suggest an alternative, and we go with that. But we try not to let it take forever. But but yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll just talk about it real briefly at the table and come up with a ruling. So, would you maybe Easy down the line try and make it a little bit more solidified with, if in case a situation pops up again like that? Like, you know, if you know, okay, well, this person's now going to start to use their example grappling, are we going to try and create a small mechanic on this thing to put into the game just so that the next time we have a little bit more of a solidified answer? Or would you kind of just go with your initial judgment and just stick it to that one? It depends on the situation. If it's something that we feel is going to come up over and over again, then we may codify it somewhere. Um, but a lot of times, if it's like a one-off sort of thing, or this, this is going to happen so infrequently, we're not going to worry about it. We'll just handle it on the ones. Yeah. What about you, Scott? What's your opinion on that? Uh, homebrew on the fly? Yeah, you absolutely have to. I mean, yeah, Jesus, man. There's so many times where it's like fine. I said... I design games where you just cannot cover every possibility. And believe me, people are going to tell you that you forgot something so obscure and minute that it doesn't really matter to the broader game, even though I put a disclaimer that says it's your game once you buy it. So go ahead and do whatever the fuck you want with it. But anyway, uh, you still get to hear about it. Um, but yeah, like uh, with chases or feats of strength or... Yeah, kind of just some weird stuff that'll come up, and it's just like, okay, cool, the rules may cover this, or they may be really gray. Um, mm -hmm. Or, you know, I just, you know, like, grapple is always a pain in the ass, and I don't know why, since it should be just a very straightforward action of just, you know, a post, a post checks, and that's really it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do things like that, and just be like, look, man, we're not, I, I, have, I have no time to... See how many rounds it's going to take you to pin an opponent on jazz. I really don't give a shit. I want to know what you want to do. Cool, you do your role. I'll do my role. If that's the kind of game we're playing, uh, and then if you win, you get to tell me. Uh, you know, are you holding someone, or are you are you like rear naked chokeholds? So you're doing damage. You get those two choices. Awesome, cool. Now next round they're going to try to break out, obviously on their initiative, and we just go from there. It's that's a really simple. It's a two step process, and it doesn't. <laughs> but grapple is like eighty pages long in almost every book. Oh god, I know. I'm having flashbacks reading uh the first edition Pathfinder book. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Like it's such a neat game and unlimited possibilities, but like that's another one where it's like you want to make a character, okay, sit down for the night with a glass of wine because you got about 2000 things you could start looking at in order to start a character. Like my god, they thought of everything in that one, but it was definitely crazy amount of bloat i don't blame them for trying to do a second edition yep and that didn't fix anything nah i didn't even <laughs> <laughs> i kind of just brief. took a yeah i i just took a brief look at that at the second edition and i don't know i feel like it almost kind of lost a little bit on it and i i just 
Like, what's your, like, I know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but fuck it. That's, that's kind of the, the whole thing with our podcast is just talking about things. And then all of a sudden we get lost and tired to talk about other things. What, how did they screw up second edition? Like for someone who's probably looked into it more. Uh, I don't know. Finder, do you, do you have uh, in-depth knowledge on this? I have never played a single game of Pathfinder. Ooh, fucking lucky you. I had to suffer through that shit. Um, so they try to clean up some of the base combat rules. And, um, I mean, honestly, they pulled in some of the ideas of uh, what can expedite maneuvers, like combat maneuvers, mm-hmm. and how you can actually get through a combat a little bit faster. But, I mean, it's still based on the bones of 3.5 or third edition in general, and it's just, it's it's a slog fest. You know, there's bloated hit points, and it's just it just is what it is. There's 15,000 spells, there's tons of books, there's an in-depth lore, rules lawyers galore. Um, there's so many character classes, and it's just, it's more the same. I, I just, I think they just, you're not going to fix a game like that. Um, you either are part of that cult, or you're not, just like any, any RPG, right? Yeah, I, I was even thinking, like, I tried to play a couple uh first edition games and although i wouldn't say they're kind of rule lawyering i would say that they're definitely there's you you discuss the rules a lot more because there's just so much yeah yeah it's it's all yeah yeah go ahead sorry i mean yeah anytime you make a move or want to do something right there's a it's a fucking 15 minute discussion as to why you can or cannot do that yeah it's just like jesus christ man i just want to shoot the fucking bow through the trees into the orc my God, yeah. you know, and, and that's where a homebrew come in and be like, cool, uh, awesome. You have a negative two to your attack roll because I'm going to consider the foliage and the secondary growth as cover, but I'm done. Yeah. And to be honest, I think my experience with Pathfinder was another reason why I never actually tried to play a game of Shadowrun, which oh, I love Shadowrun run lore. So awesome. Yeah. But I, the game itself, like I could just see myself, uh, I don't know, doing something better. Yeah. 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 But anyways, back on topic. Now that that mini rant is done, I'll have to start. I'll have to make a rant button where it's just all of a sudden we just get this little warning sign that says rant. Um, but <laughs> but right, uh, forward. Yeah. Um, I don't think you yeah. can do that because the rules of this podcast indicate that we're not allowed to do those sorts of things you piece of uh, shit rules lawyer yeah well just homebrew go to two minutes go to 32 minutes and 54 seconds to skip this round <laughs> <laughs> um so is there ever a time where it's just like homebrewing can just you know run amok where it's like all of a sudden you have this crazy ass frankenstein and you're better off just trying a completely different system because this one it's just it's just it's gone too far. So is there ever a time where you can really realize maybe homebrewing just went a little too far? You just answered your own question. So when it gets Frank, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> For real, man. No, no, yeah, I do. You did. I agree. Yeah. As an example, uh, there was a time when I was going to be a player. There was a, a new guy in our group and he wanted to run Twilight 2000 and Savage Worlds, but oh. he wanted it to be, like ultra gritty and he ended up homebrewing oh. a lot of stuff to where it was no longer savage worlds that we're playing it's like 
you get one Benny and you can't do this and you can't do that. And, and we're like, okay, (laughs) so what game is this we're playing? Because we're not Savage Worlds anymore. And what's crazy is there are setting rules specifically for all of that shit that he wanted to do. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's maddening. The one you started talking about, I was like, I want to punch this guy in the fucking throat because he doesn't even read the damn book. He doesn't know the game that well. Right. Well, the, the funny thing is that game, that, that campaign lasted one session. And it, whether this is true or not, I don't know what was going on in that guy's life. But he, we spent uh, like two or three weeks creating characters and getting the campaign set up. And, and me and my buddies, we, we sit down with our characters. Uh, two of us were drunks. I mean, like I was an alcoholic surgeon. And the other guy was an alcoholic sniper. And we had our portable still with us that we would take and, and make our alcohol. And the first encounter that we come upon, uh, well, first of all, he wanted us to go one direction. We're like, well, that's where all the danger is. So, no, we're not going to go that direction. We're going to go this <laughs> other on, direction. Come on. And, <laughs> and he, he sets up this encounter. And we approached it smart. I mean, there was like a bunker. There was uh, some troops. And we scouted the area out. We had mortars. And we got ourselves in strategic positions. And we annihilated that entire encounter. And never once took a wound. (laughs) And after that, the game ended. (laughs) He was there to win, really, right? And that's that's a whole different show. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. You know, you see a lot of homebrewing, just speaking of Savage World specifically. It's the people who are usually new to the system and they immediately, without fail, the first thing they want to do is is like, I don't like how fight works. I don't like how shoot works. So you're going to have to get a skill for every weapon. Dude, stop. That's not the intent of the game. You're ruining the game by slowing it down. You know, like the theme of of an RPG system is far more important than those bullshit rules you want to bring over from like Dungeons and Dragons, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I think that like, that's something that maybe will be addressed in a later one is when people take expectations of, you know, more mainstream RPGs and then just try and shove it into, you know, a little bit more of the little guys, like, you know, like you said, for Savage trying to put in proficiencies it's like what's the point though you're supposed to be creating your own character that's yeah yeah you're supposed exactly. to have a unique you know fun the funny thing about build. savage worlds yeah the one thing that i see a lot of times in savage worlds also is people don't like the initiative system i don't like cards yeah have you even played have you played initiative with cards because it's not as slow as you think and it's no. a really cool dynamic yeah. super fast man I think it's just because it's like most of the time people play nowadays like on roll 20 and it's just that extra mechanic that people don't want to learn. Yep. Like, yeah. <laughs> but like even, that's... even cards on Savage Worlds, I find I find initiative for Savage Worlds on roll 20 much faster than it Absolutely. is in person even. Absolutely. And so it's like, I, I love the cards. They're awesome. Like if if I don't have to put the cards in the turn order, which is fine, but yeah, because you can just deal the cards out to the person and on their tokens, right? Yeah. And it's super fast because it's it's a it is a very visible reminder of what is happening. Everyone knows. All you got to do is count fucking backwards. If you're you can't do that, maybe gaming's not for you. 
Um, <laughs> you know, maybe you sit around and color and sh- something else. But yeah, man, I think Savage World. I mean, I, I we were talking about this earlier before we got on, and I'll take a picture of how many custom card decks I have for Savage Worlds. <laughs> I probably spent three thousand dollars in playing cards easily. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, that's I, excessive. Yeah, I, well, because I so when I play Savage Worlds, I theme the entire game. So the bennies uh, are themed, yeah, right. the deck of cards are themed, everything is themed to that game. Yeah, uh, I think it's important to capture the feel of what we're trying to do. But I'm also, you know, now I look at the cards and I'm like, man, I don't even play Savage Worlds anymore. All of that'll be changing. <laughs> so, well, anyway, like when you talk about like homebrew and like that's that that itself is like a homebrew but that's such a cool addition where you just try and customize those little parts they're more of like the peripherals of the game itself in order to improve the experience of the players like that that's impressive that the fact like are these actual physical cards that you get printed out and everything like Lot these these are all Kickstarters. So like I've got yeah, oh. I've got like a couple of Viking decks. I've got a couple of Old West decks. I've got some Cyberpunk cards, uh, Firefly playing cards. Um, I mean, man, I I have tarot cards that I've only had one player walk out from that. He refused to play with tarot cards. We were playing uh, uh, East Texas University. And I was using a tarot deck, and uh, I bought Bennies off of Etsy that are like little, like miniature Ouija boards. And the oh, like, that's cool. Messing, yeah, he's like, you're messing with the occult. And I'm like, look, man, I don't know how to break it to you. There's no such thing as ghosts or monsters. So let's just play the f-ing game, please. Like, no one's going to get you. It is what it is, man. But yeah. But yeah, so that's how far I will go, right? I'll reach out to Etsy. Now I got a 3D printer, and so I print all kinds of crazy nonsense for the games, too. Oh, I'm so jealous of you. I want one. Oh man, just gotta gotta go big. A friend of mine bought one, and I was like, "Huh, what's the best beginner printer on the market?" Oh, a Prusa. Okay, let me talk to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's just it for me. It's like I I think the wifey she would be like, "Okay, but um, where are we gonna put it?" And I'm like, oh, "Yeah, sure. well, yeah. you know, yeah, I got a game room in the house, so." And then I have already made a couple of cool toys for her, like you know. Uh, shower knives and shit like that to stab someone and all that shit. So it's paid mm. off in her mind. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I got a neighbor. I got a neighbor who has like three of them. So. Oh uh, Jesus! Wow. Uh, yeah, he he has like for different styles, everything like that. Like it's nuts. Yeah, sure. But like he's he's one of those guys who actually does like painting competitions. Oh wow! That's and crazy. some oh some of the sh- like some of the shit he's done. If he lets me, I'll. Like I said, if we get an Instagram up by the time this pops out, I'm gonna put up. I'm gonna ask him if I can put up some of his photos because the things that he does, like he has like a full size, uh, God, what's that character called? A full size spawn done. He has like all the Gundams done. He does all these ones and like he built himself like a spray paint studio in his basement, and it's just absolutely nuts. Like the things that I've seen him do. Good to have a neighbor who. As a 3D printer, though, I'm going to have to try and maybe borrow one of those off of them every once in a while. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> well, by borrow, <laughs> I mean sending him a, you know, a file and ask him if he'll print it for me, pretty please. There you go. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> but anyways, Jesus. back on back on topic again. Again, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, whatever. Yeah. So. Besides any RPGs you may have designed, do you have any good stories or bad stories of kind of a homebrew that either you did or that you played with that I, I know Finder, you just actually said one. Scott, you got any 
uh, good homebrews that you did that you weren't really expecting of? You mean that I played it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me think. Shit, I think mostly. Anytime I play, it's usually with a set rule set. Um, yeah, man. No, I've never. Like, not a homebrew rule set. No, it's almost always someone wanting to run something specific. Mm. Um, yeah, like an actual produce thing. Yeah, man. Wow, that's really weird. Now, now I will say, though, there's another definition of homebrew that we've not talked about. And that is Uh-oh. a homebrew setting where, for example, mm. D&D has, or, or Pathfinder has Glorantha, right? Mm-hmm. D&D... Yeah. When D and D came out, it didn't have a published world. Now they have things like Sword Coast, um, whatever. I mean, they've got a bunch of different settings now. But a lot of people will run the D and D rule set in their own world, so they don't use any of the lore for Sword Coast or whatever. And yeah. so they homebrew the setting itself, but still follow the D and D rule set. Um, and, and that that uh, that may be coming more of the de- the more modern version of homebrew now where um r- homebrewing rules is less popular whereas homebrewing the setting is much more popular it seems i, I see that more frequently now than than yeah. rules you do get the people that say oh i want to roll dice for initiative and savage worlds um oh, yeah but but mostly i think most of the times i see homebrew now it's all around setting which mm-hmm. is a lot of like uh, even Savage World stuff because unless you're running one of their published settings, um, a lot of the stories I see people telling are like Botap type things, Reaction and Elvis. Finder had another mic screw up, but it sounds kind of like Spider Man or something. I have no idea. Yeah, stuff like that. So I mean, that, that's the other definition of homebrew that that I I was just thinking about because I do see homebrew quite a bit. Yeah. But not in relation to, but not in regards to rules so much as it is to the setting. Yeah, yeah it's it's really always been that way, honestly. Um, yeah, like you know, some people use Mistara from the beginning. Some people use Blackmoor, um, Greyhawk in general. Forgotten Realms when it came out was massively popular. Uh, I still don't understand why. Um, I, I just always thought it was sort of, ban- of, a, of just this banal setting of nonsense. Um, and then, like, Dragonlance came out, so I ran a lot of Dragonlance because I thought the books were amazing, and I liked the feel of that world where heroics matter and there's true good, true evil. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, the homebrew setting has always been a thing, and it's definitely – and now that you can self-publish, I mean, there's 15,000 fucking billion settings out there on drive through RPG and other places. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. And they're, they're... Guilty, I'm working on one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, same thing. Like, I've got – a couple of settings, three settings or so that I've had in the the hopper, and I just never get back to them because I don't know. Yeah, I got I got a folder filled with just ideas that I've written down. Yeah, just yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, like twelve different folders, just with like one one thing in it that's just like, oh, this uh, this one game where I just wrote up literally one long you know, five page thing on it and then just totally didn't like it at the end of it and then just put it to the side. But yeah, that happens. Oh yeah. And some of the sometimes the setting is just so much more difficult to write than a rule set because settings are it's a lot of prose. Just a lot of straight prose. Yeah, no, I yeah, I get you on that one. I think like 
some I, some settings are definitely harder to write than others. Uh, when it comes to, especially like in the homebrewing thing, like there is a couple. Like for me, I have more time, uh, more difficulty writing rules down because I feel like I'm just not getting them right across properly. But when it comes to lore, a lot of the times I, I feel like I could just pretty much word vomit all of it out as, uh, as you guys may have found out this morning when we were just spitballing <laughs> random ideas and then like I just needed to like write it down, so I ended up like creating this I think like a two page doc, like two page yeah. document just to see it's like hey how is this for a setting, um for me you, you know like, I think also oh, go ahead sorry. No, I was just going to finish off by saying that uh, I was just going to finish off by saying for me, it's like trying to write down the rules. That's the part where I get intimidated with when trying to homebrew. It's the rules. I just. I I, I have trouble trying to solidify them. But anyways, I, I was going to say for me, I think writing down a setting. Is hard. Depending on what you're wanting to do, right? If, you, mm -hmm. if you're trying to codify it to sell on drive through RPG or something, you have to get a lot more in depth so that people feel they're getting their money's worth. Yeah. But for like my friends, I can put together a two or three page synopsis of here's the general overview of the setting yeah. because the rest of it, I can make up on the fly as we go. As long as they have an idea of this is the general theme of the setting. These are the basic tropes that we're going after. And they have the basic expectation of how to fit into that setting. So you don't have to do a whole lot of stuff, but if you want to sell it, then you definitely need to do a lot more of that prosy stuff so that they feel like they got something for their money. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And even like thinking like, cause I got a few books right next to me. And if we're talking about like, you know, the settings as part of like the homebrew, if you look at books like even like Morkborg, you almost need to homebrew that in order to keep it like going. Like it's, you can have it as a one shot and you probably like using the back, uh, you know, adventure and it would totally be fine. But if you really wanted to propel that into a long standing game, I feel like you would have to definitely doctor it a little bit more in order to keep it, you know, flowing. So I mean, the, the, oh, you have the to whole, get rid of that dice mechanic that says the world ends. <laughs> I was going to say that, yeah. The, the game's point is that you don't get to play forever, yeah. Well, actually, if you look at it, they got they got different versions for it where you can just use a D6 or it's something like two D6s or D D20 or a D100. So you can extend it. Don't go weak. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pure combat, that one. Like, yeah. you know, narrative combat. So there's no real... It, there is no real way on, on that one to be able to have social interactions without really having to, you know, I guess kind of almost build up a whole other half to it. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah it's kind of the thing. Some of my more favorite games now are just, just definitely in that, that, uh, that style to be honest, black hack, more board Cthulhu hack, uh, you know, the shit I write. It's just like, I don't, I don't want a setting. I don't want you to. I don't. I just don't need that shit. I just want to play because honestly, I'm not going to use whatever nonsense is in your books anymore. <laughs> well, even before we started this, I was talking about uh, the RPG that I just picked up, Unbound, which yeah. it's literally just a setting of rules where the players and you help start creating the world as it 
from the start where it's like, oh, what kind of setting do you want to play? Okay, now what kind of adventures do you want to have? Okay, now you pick this part. Okay, now... Um, and you just kind of keep on going down the line and then you just keep on asking questions, which they even show you questions in the book where it's like, okay, well, to try and get this, ask this, if you're trying to run a venture like this, and it really kind of paints it out for you where you can homebrew any kind of setting like i was just spitballing with a buddy of mine and i came up with playing as little demons who uh your house just got pretty much destroyed where the house that you're haunting and now it got turned into a mall so you're haunting that mall and trying to cause stir up shit there like you can run shit like that on almost like and on systems that don't give you a pure theme and instead just like a rule set like GURPS, for instance. In, yeah, those universal sets, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why Savage Worlds went so well with people is uh yeah. It's fairly easy to learn and it was so like early on, and it's not it's it's kind of this way now, but I don't think it's as much as bad as it was. It was the mashup queen of RPGs. So it was Elvis plus magic, uh dogfights plus magic. Right, almost everything was something plus magic or something plus weird, yeah. uh, but everyone ran it. In Savage Worlds, I used to do one shot Wednesdays uh, at a local uh, a local library. Well, not a library, but a bookstore, and that's how I met some of my some of my players. I bring into a core group, and I would just run a different scenario in Savage Worlds, and it was always a different genre. And you know, so those systems are really good for that kind of thing. If they don't, if you pre make characters for people and you hand them out and say, "Here we go." You can't really do that if you have people make their characters because it's just it's too long. The investment isn't going to be there if they're just going to get there. Yeah, it's too long of know. a process. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know that that's that that is one thing that I like about Savage Worlds is it is easy to homebrew a setting. Heck, when I was uh, when my kids were younger, um, like eight, nine, ten, they'd want to play play a game, and so they'd say, "Dad, run run Savage Worlds." And I'm like, "Okay, what do you guys want to play?" and sitting around the table and say, well, we want to play squirrels with swords. Okay, I guess we're going to do do that. So go ahead and make your characters. And you're, if you're going to be a squirrel, you get these edges uh, to begin right. with. And if you're playing a rabbit, you get this edge to begin with. And it was very easy to be up and running in just a couple of minutes. And we Ooh, ran yeah. one shot for the kids, and, and they had a good time. And, and yep, yep. Uh, so it was good. I was going to say, right? So like with Savage Worlds and with homebrewing, you know, since we're still on that topic, if you look at Savage Worlds, and a lot of people would be like, "Oh, well, I need to know what it like. What do squirrels do? What is their what is their attribute?" No bullshit. Think about it. Are you a tough squirrel? Awesome. Use the dwarf. Are you a nimble squirrel? Awesome. Use the elf. You know, are you a smaller squirrel? Are you a sneaky squirrel? Use the halfling. And it's that fast in some of these systems for homebrewing yeah. shit that quickly. Yeah, and even if yeah. you have a little bit more time, it, it, what I was going to say is actually not far off what you're going to say. Even if you got a little bit more time and you want to create your own setting ahead of ahead of when the players are coming, they have a whole book there, like a whole section there that's all about building your own, you know, your own race. So if you wanted to play, you know, with rabbits and squirrels, you could look through that and they have a like literally a system there that allows you to pick traits of that are plus and negative so that they balance out so that they're you know the same level as everything else in the setting so they're not overly powerful or weaker like we talk about savage worlds actually quite a bit and it's the whole game that we all started playing together but like that game you can do so much with it just by reading the core book you don't need to buy 
all the other like stuff that comes with like, you know, you don't need to buy rippers. You don't need to buy the superheroes companion. You don't need to buy any of that. Really? You can play with the core rules and you can create the world. Yeah. But you do need to buy the settings that we publish because true <laughs> you, you, you'll, you'll never come up with those settings. <laughs> no, 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 not ever. Yeah, maybe maybe not the shit that we come up with. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe maybe some of the shit we come up with you won't want to touch, anyways. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. they 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 definitely do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I need to stop. Uh, being... There you go, right? Just bye. We'll put a link. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll put a link down in the description below. God, oh. no, you can find me. You can it, do me. No, I was just say it's one of the rules of this podcast. You have to buy our stuff. that's the contract you guys signed when you started listening to us you have to buy our stuff it's the social contract yeah yeah social contract no it's the one we're not going to tell you about yeah well fortunately i have nothing out for published so it'll cost you zero for me uh scott doesn't have anything either so no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) find me and give me negative downboats and shit Okay, <laughs> one second. I'll just go and find you on drive through. You know what's nice about being a publisher is I can't review other people's stuff. You can't? No, I'm not allowed to. They don't let huh. publishers do that. It really sucks. It's just like really cool shit. So I have to leave a comment and be like, as a publisher, I'm not allowed to, you know, review this book. However, I give it, you know, X number of fucking asterisk stars out of whatever because of this, 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 and this. And I try to help people out when they do really good stuff. But yeah, it really sucks. I can't, you, you can't, uh, can't review shit. Yeah. Yeah. I actually didn't know that rule. Yeah. It's really weird. Um, yeah. I was also going to say, like, even it was a Savage Worlds game, um, that I was playing and it unfortunately didn't last too long, but the guy created a crazy world, but he also, Using kind of the magic system that they we had, he almost altered it in a way that made it really unique uh, to fit more. Like we're playing almost like it was like a Nordic Viking kind of apocalypse style, except it was more like um, the world has ended, technology has withdrawn, and some magic has popped up. But at the same time, there's this giant, I guess, storm or tornado that was pure magic energy that would come and pretty much wreck everything in its path. But as it got closer, magic would increase in power, like to an insane degree. And the further away, it could almost amount to having zero power whatsoever. And he kind of created this whole rule system towards it. And honestly, it it was so neat. I wish it lasted longer, but, uh, you know, things just happen sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the rules is written people and the great following yeah. it is? Uh, yeah, I'm actually pretty curious about that because I, I didn't even, I thought that was part of rules learning. So tell me yeah. a little bit about rules is written. So you got the people who, and I know, I know a couple of these cats, solid folks. They chase the dragon of I can run a game, rules is written without interceding at all. No homebrewing, no weird rulings that contradict any of the rules as written. If it says this happens, then this is how it works in the game, right? That's, they are purists. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed is, is none of those games last more than a few sessions, and they're off to something else. And then eventually they all try to write their own system because they realize, well, sort of, that rules as written is just, 
it's interesting, but man, is it tough. But yeah, that's a the thing. There are people who stay, they chase that dragon that there is the perfect RPG that you don't need to do anything with and it will fit your every need. Yeah, I don't think there's one that exists. I think if you wanted Hell the no. closest one to that, uh, I don't know. Like, it wouldn't match everyone's need exactly, but like, I think GURPS could probably do most of what people want if you have the right supplements. Yeah, I said GURPS, Savage Worlds. I mean, any universal system yeah. is not bad. But yeah, you know, it's just that even those are tough. Savage Worlds is tough to run rules as written. I'm not going to lie to you. There's things in there that I'm just like, I cannot stand how this works. Oh, yeah. You know. Well, and you know, I think there's a place for rules as written. And this is something that I you see mostly on the Savage Worlds things when people say, I don't like the initiative system. Most people say, dude, try it rules as written for a few sessions before you make yep. a decision on whether you're going to change yeah. it. And so I think depending on the system, it's a good idea to try and follow the rules as written, at least initially, because you get a feel for how does it play with the entire system. There's a lot of pieces within Savage Worlds that if you take the rule by itself, it's kind of like, hmm, that's odd, or it doesn't feel right. But then when you put that in the entire mix of the, of the entire rule set, you can see how things play together. Um, initiative is the easiest one for Savage Worlds, but there are other things where people are like, well, um, why can't I just give them a minus four on this roll? Dude, because minus four in Savage Worlds is like a crippling modifier. Yeah. So it's like yep. you, you need to be careful of things. You want to make it harder? Great. Make it a little bit harder, but there's a balance to it. And so understanding how all of the different elements play together, that's my rules as written thing is like try the rules as written as much as you can Yeah. Uh, when you're when you're first learning the system. And then you can start modifying it because it'd be kind of like a chef who's put looking at a recipe he's never cooked before and making changes. Unless I'm a trained cook, I'm going to screw that recipe up and it's not going to yep. taste good. Yep. No, it's definitely true. And I think some systems even may, like with rule lawyers or anything like that, I think there's some systems that may kind of push people towards more of rules as written. And I feel like those are ones that are more... Um, combat simulation especially mm -hmm. when it comes to like miniatures and you yep. know okay you can only move two squares or two hexes or three hexes and stuff like that i think those ones are probably a little bit more you know rules as written and yep. i think that might be on purpose just to because at the end of the day they it's there for the combat system like that's why people play games like you know who actually do play Shadowrun? It's because they want that combat system. Or people yeah. who play D and D Five E. It's because they want that combat system. It's you. you those are the rules as written ones where it's like, okay, I kind of get why you would do it, but like, I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. just my own opinion. No, you're not wrong. I mean, there's a lot of arguments. People, you know, oh, it's a role playing game. Blah 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 blah. Okay, whatever. I know we're probably going to talk about it in a whole separate episode. About uh, D and D specifically, and all, and that that pack of lies. It's cool. Show me the chapter where it tells you how to role play, yeah. uh, and then I also need you because it doesn't exist. And I also need you to count all the spells and all the pages dedicated to combat versus all the spells dedicated to shit used outside of combat. And I'm going to tell you which one is vastly outnumbered in D and D. 
vastly <laughs> prestigitation yeah right it makes it look it's, nice and pretty now i'm yeah, not so dirty yeah it just is what it is you let know. me write messages in the sky <clears throat> folks but it also goes back to what you were it's what you're saying about war games right because that's a lot of these games that's their that's their genesis is a war game and so D still has those war game tropes yeah. it's still basically chess you know with advanced dolls and weird rules <laughs> yeah which will, which which will probably be because like even like what 5e does like i don't see anything wrong with it i just i don't see it if i want to play a war game i'm going to play a war game if i want to play an rpg like i'm i think there's better systems out there and i feel like you that's one where if you really want to have very creative conversations and everything like that you definitely need to probably just bash that thing in with a lot of new rules to kind of make it flow smoother or even taking out rules. Maybe I don't know. I don't yep. know what to do with five. E. Yeah. No one does. <laughs> That's why they keep on releasing books. Yeah. yeah. Well, although, and this may be a topic for another time, but since we're talking about combat and, and the impact that it has on rules and rules as written folks, etc. It it brings up an interesting con- uh, concept now that I'm seeing in more systems, it seems, and that is social combat. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like we've codified the role-playing aspects into a combat piece as well. And yeah. I have theories as to why that is, but uh, it may be another topic for another time. But social mm-hmm. combat is one that I think would be interesting. Oh, yeah. No, because, man, I want to hear your thoughts so bad. Damn. (laughs) You know what? Next week. Let's cover that topic next week. I've written two games specifically with social combat. Yeah. No, Uh it sounds sounds like an interesting one that I I wouldn't mind uh, hearing your guys' thoughts on that one. Um, So I, I think you guys may already have an idea what's coming next week. Um, <laughs> but I think we've uh, exhausted the conversation with uh, rule lawyers and homebrew in there a little bit. So, all right, RP people, I think that's all the time we have for this episode. If you have any good or bad stories, you know, either rule lawyers or homebrewers, uh, shoot us a comment on Podbean. Also, this is a new channel, and it would be very helpful if you subscribe to this podcast. If you want to hear us share our opinion on a certain topic, let us know. Uh, we're just pretending to be smart, but hell, we might have some good insight on something. Hope to see you next time and have a good week.